Hello everyone and welcome back to the Blackstock Triangle and Arsenal podcast. No, it isn't Sean, it's Alex. Sean can't join us today, so I will be taking over the hosting duties and I'm joined by Nelly today. Nelly, how are you, mate? I'm alright, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for joining. Um, Look, we won't talk about the Fulham game because, uh, one, it was a crap game um, and two... Uh, there's much more exciting things, I think, to talk about. But let's get in order to get started. Let's talk about the Champions League draw just for a moment. Um, Nelly, what did you make of it? What was your just overall, I guess, opinions of the draw and, and how it turned out? Um, I'm very happy with the draw. I mean, you've got to beat the good teams to win. But realistically, given that we haven't qualified for several years, so we we were lucky, I think, to be even be a second seed team. Uh, we are therefore, we couldn't really have gotten a better group. Right? With um, Seville, Sevilla, they're on paper probably the worst of the top seed teams. And uh, the third team being Eindhoven, obviously with two teams going qualifying, you need to beat the third team twice. We've got Eindhoven as a team we should be able to beat. Also, a thing I think is very important from our group draw is that there's no very far away clubs we're not playing any teams from like the furthest east teams i think you get like poland russia on any obviously more but turkey that's very far uh it's the whole day of travel to get to a country like that whereas the furthest we've got to go is eindhoven so i think overall we couldn't have gotten a better draw yeah i i thought we had got a great draw i mean especially when you look at newcastle's draw i think we definitely got uh, a much uh, a much better draw and look i'm Considering that it's our first time back in, I think, you know, we, we, we wanted to, I guess, sort of dip our toe in, so to speak. You know, we don't want to just get all the hard teams straight away. Let's see if we can actually just dip our toe in and, and maybe try and uh, get as far as possible uh, in, in, the, in the Champions League. And who knows, maybe we can even try and win it. Um, look, we'll move on to, I guess, obviously the big game and the big result over the, over the weekend. Arsenal 3, Manchester United 1. An absolute back-and-forth game in terms of just emotion. I think we can safely say that. Um, I I guess, Nelly, do you want to just give us a a, a brief rundown of your thoughts of the game and then we'll get into maybe some more detailed stuff. But I guess overall, what did you think of that game? It was a very stressful game to watch. Probably the most stressful game I've watched uh this season uh but overall it was great i feel that 3-1 actually on balance is a fair score for the game uh but it all came down to a two sets of key five minutes uh and that's where the when the first goal was scored and then the second goal and then right at the end that was where where the whole game was won and lost uh but i do think that 3-1 was a fair score on balance for the game and it was a great performance all around by Arsenal, particularly the response to going behind. That could not be faulted. Yeah, we tend to we, we do tend to do that a lot, though, don't we? We go behind and we seem to just... It almost, it's almost like it wakes us up. It's like we need that sort of kick up the backside to then say, OK, you know what? Uh, we need to really shift up a gear. You know, I, I personally felt throughout that game and even before it, when you look at the fact that they didn't have Luke Shaw, they didn't have Varane, we probably should have put them more to the sword, and we didn't. 
Um, and that was, I guess, a slight concern for me. However, obviously, when you win, when you win the game, you don't really, I guess, care. But it was funny how when Maguire and Evans um, came on, that it was just, man, their back line, it was just, it was almost chalk and cheese. You know, I, I couldn't believe. And I actually heard over the television um, when Maguire was coming on, I actually heard the fans, the Arsenal fans clapping. You know, what does that do to the opposition when <laughs> when your team or when the opposition's actually clapping one of your def- your players coming on because they want them on the field? I mean, that, that can't do much for morale, that's for sure. Um, but let's get into just, I guess, some points. Let's talk about Fabio Vieira. Um, and I know this is going to be something that's completely almost left field, but I just, I think he deserves a mention based on his performances over the past couple of games. You know, he's come up, on as a substitution and he's just he's looked the part from the get-go you know um he's looking a much more improved player what do you make of that and do you think looking at Kai Havertz and his performances do you think Vieira maybe should be starting well there's only so many good performances he can make like that before he has to start uh Kai Havertz obviously was a, a bigger money signing more recently. Arteta clearly has faith in Kai Havertz. But we did look better with Vieira on the field. Havertz did a very poor pass in the first half to Inketia, where he kind of mishit it. Uh, and if if it had rolled through and Inketia had scored, maybe he'd been claiming he meant it. But he could have just done a good side foot pass and played in Ketia in there. It was a miss hit. And in those key moments against Man United, maybe maybe he's not quite producing yet, Kai Havertz. Maybe Vieira should be starting. This is a great problem for a manager to have. Right? Uh, that it's someone like Fabio Vieira, who I completely agree with you, Alex. He's getting better. He was a disappointment last season, I thought, Vieira. But he's so far this season, he's certainly playing very well. And I hope he uh, continues to do so. I hope he does take a Havertz spot, to be honest. I think we'd play better with Vieira rather than Havertz. Yeah, I, th- I think I th- for me personally, I-, I obviously don't want to write Havertz off. And I think when I look at Vieira, Vieira is actually probably the the best sort of... I mean, when you look at the scenario with, with, with what's happening with Havertz at the moment. You know, Vieira last season, as you mentioned, he wasn't really that good. Um, but now this season, after a, after you know having a season at Arsenal, um, he's gotten better. And I, I kind of want to do the same with Havertz. You know, maybe he needs a bit of time. Maybe his time at Chelsea has really absolutely destroyed his confidence. And it does seem that way. You know, when I watch him play, I just, I look at a player that you'd see glimpses of, of brilliance and then, it's just almost like his confidence, and his and he, he's you know he's because he's doubting himself in the back of his mind. He's all, he's almost not playing with any conviction, and that's having a huge effect. Like that misplaced pass, you know, it almost felt like it was such a, a soft pass. But if he played that pass with conviction because he had confidence within himself, that might have never happened. And, and Rashford doesn't end up scoring. Um, even the the fluffed shot that he had uh, at, early in the first half. You know, that was a, that was a, for me, that was a shot of a player who just is lacking a huge amount of confidence right now. And um, I, I only hope that, uh, you know, Arteta and 
Havertz just I hope that he can obviously find that that light bulb moment and something and the the switch just flicks because I do feel like there is a player there but it's just I just think he's a confidence player and he just needs a bit more time. Um, in terms of Vieira, I think coming coming back, I, I think after the international break, I, I do think he should start. I really do. I, do, I believe that, and um, I think he's done enough to deserve a start. And and if we're if we are, and if Arteta is a serious manager, where he's saying you know you play based on merit, it's hard to not play Fabio Vieira because he's he's come on and he's just he almost changes the way the the emphasis of how we play so yeah i think Vieira, in my opinion should probably be starting the everton away maybe although you could argue that everton away at goodison park you might need someone like a kai Havertz with that that height maybe to because it's going to be a bit more of a scrap um but we'll have, i guess we'll have to wait and see what the manager decides to do uh one thing i do think yeah. just my last thoughts on this i do think there's Arteta is planning to bring good players on. It's not necessarily starting the best eleven. It's using your squad to win the game. So, you know, Man United brought on Maguire and Evans. Uh, Arsenal brought on Vieira and Gabriel Jesus. And yeah. after those substitutions were made, we scored two. Yeah. So I think, Look, to an extent, yeah. that's part of what Arteta's thinking. It's not just starting the best players necessarily; it's using your squad to win the game. <clears throat> yeah. and that's why oh, he brings Vieira and Jesus on at the same time. Absolutely, and he gets it, uh, gets it done, gets the win. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, but I would argue that when I see Vieira play, we look a better team. So I mean, for me, I'm not saying that you know. Obviously, Arteta wants to put on players that are going to make us better and, and help us win, and that's what Vieira is doing, 100%. But I guess the issue I have, I'm having with Kai Havertz at the moment is that when Vieira comes on or if, if Kai Havertz is taken off and whoever comes on to replace him, it seems like we are a much more fluid team when Havertz isn't in the team. Um, but look, like I mentioned earlier, We've got to give him time. I, I don't want us to just quickly write him off uh, just because he's had three years at Chelsea. Listen, we've seen a lot of good players play for Chelsea and and not, I guess, reach the heights that they reached once they left Chelsea. De Bruyne, Mo Salah, like, you know, there's there's a, some real real good players that have played at Chelsea and haven't ultimately... Um, if he can turn out, turn out to be as good as De Bruyne or Salah, then we'll uh, we'll be happy. Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent, or even half as good. Let's be, let's be fair, <laughs> like you know. But uh, look, let's let's move on. Uh, we'll, let's talk about Saka because the past couple of games, I feel like he's been not at his best, and I, I don't want to fault him for that. He he plays, he's played a lot of games. You know, he's played a lot of games. I think he's broken the record recently. I think he just passed Paul Merson as the most games played uh, in a row in the league. Um, what did you make of his performance, I guess, Nelly? And, and, and do you think that he's just looking a bit sort of out of touch at the moment? I mean, he's not... Everyone has ups and downs. And form is temporary, class is permanent. But, and the last... So far this season, Bukayo Saka hasn't really uh, looked his best. I think he's only scored penalties. I don't think he scored an open play. Um, and he, the penalty 
couple of weeks ago he didn't take Odegaard took a penalty. Uh, I don't think he's quite looked his best. Maybe it is just fatigue. He's also obviously starts every game for England. It's not just Arsenal he plays for. So he's played a lot of games for Arsenal, but he's also played a fair few international matches. Some players have the international break as a break. Uh, but Saka goes into the international break knowing he'll probably start every game in the international period. So I do think maybe it's just a bit of fatigue. Uh, maybe he could do with a game or two off. Uh, but he's so integral to the way he plays. He's got such a reputation. He he gets marked a lot as well. Teams have focused their defences on him. It's not all his p- performance that's reducing his effectiveness. That team set up to stop him hinders him as well. Uh, I'm not sure we've seen the rest of him yet this season. Uh, I hope he doesn't get injured because that is obviously a risk with players when they played a lot of games and the performance level starts to dip a bit, they are more likely to get injured. So I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, I I have a lot of patience for Bakayo Saka. Uh, Unlike Kai Havertz, he has earned our patience. He's had several good seasons in a row. And he's had moments of individual brilliance where I think, you know, you're almost like, okay, if he's having a bad game, you just know that if he gets one sniff and one chance and he gets to cut it onto his left, he can score absolute worldies. Um, and you know, we, we saw that in the United game last season at the Emirates. Uh, so yeah, I, look, I agree. I, I, I do think he's, he's a player that when he, when he does, when he is hitting the ground running and, and he's playing well, he's unbelievable, but he also has just a bit of magic about him. Where and, and another thing as well, I would say is that he, he does have a great work rate too. You know, it's not like a, a Mesut Ozil kind of player where you kind of you know he's got. Those individual brilliant moments, um, but you might not have to necessarily have the work rate. But Bukayo Saka, he will work for you. And even if he's maybe, I guess, a bit heavy on the passes and the touches, you still know that he'll run for you. He'll defend. He'll, you know, he he he'll still contribute, I guess, in some way. Um, so yeah, I, I think we've, we're still going to start him. And look, to be fair, we don't really have anyone that can replace him. I guess that's a out and out right winger, unless you put Jesus out on the right and have Nketiah down the middle. Which after mm, I guess or Jesus... Reese Nelson is the other option. Yeah, look, Reese Nelson is an option. I think I, I think he he's more in my opinion. I think he's more suited to the left. But we've got so many people on the left now with Trossard, Martinelli. Maybe you know putting Nelson on the right might be an option. Um, but let's let's talk about you know, speaking of Martinelli. I guess uh, what did you think of his performance? I thought he was ex- excellent. I thought his great work rate. You know the way he took on Wambasaka. Um, constantly getting corners to, you know, if he couldn't get past Wampasaka, he would get to the byline and just hit it into him. So at least we got a corner. Well, what did you make of him? I think Martinelli was our best player, in my opinion, in that game. He was uh, all up and down the left. He was great defensively, tracking back. Every time he got one on one with Wampasaka, it felt like there's a chance he's going to get past him. And when it fit, when the game is played like that, when you're out wide and there's a good chance you're going to beat your man every time you try to, it means that the whole game comes down to that. The whole game is influenced by it. Even if you're losing up front, losing in the middle, if there's one patch where one player is consistently winning their one-on-ones, it means that there's a chance you can break the other team down. The other team have to psychologically deal with knowing that there's that weakness. They have to tr- come out, track across. I thought Martinelli did that 
he didn't get past one attacker every time, but it felt like he was going to. And he won lots of throw-ins, lots of corners. I felt Arsenal's corners were poor in general. I know that late in the game, Declan Rice scored from a corner. But over the course of the game, the 90 minutes, Arsenal's corners were quite poor. Uh, but Martinez did win a lot of them. He was fantastic. He got the assist on the first goal. And uh, overall, I think he was, he's been our best player, I think, overall so far this season. And certainly uh, yesterday, he was our best player as well. Yeah, I definitely agree about the corner stuff. Um, I felt like at times we would kick it to the back post and everyone was the front post. And then we'd kick it to the front post and everyone was at the back post. And I'm just thinking, what is going on here? <laughs> you know, it was just like there was no cohesion. It just, just felt very disjointed um, in some of our corners. Um, yeah, uh, look, I want to also talk, and, and, and you know, I don't want to, this is, I don't, I don't like to slander Eddie and Keta, Eddie and Keta too much, but when, I didn't think he had a bad game yesterday, but when Jesus came on, I did feel as though just the way Jesus' hold up play, his ability to dribble and, and hold on to the ball when he's marked, you know, t- he's got two players marking him. I just, I, when I watched him, I thought, this is what, We've been missing a little bit, I feel. What did you make of Jesus as just a cameo? And I guess, you know, on top of that, in, you know, do you think Inkedia should still keep a spot in the team going forward if Jesus is fully fit? Well, it's a difficult one. One thing I would say in Inkedia's defence is that he wasn't playing against Maguire and Evans. For most of the game, that is very true. Um, <laughs> that is very true. Jesus looks good playing against Maguire, so think, yeah. let's not get too he- ahead of ourselves. I think anyone would look good against him. <laughs> so I'm not. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves that Jesus is straight gone back to his best. I mean, we all know how good he is. He's a regular starter for Brazil. He's got loads of caps for Brazil when he's fit. He's a very good player. Uh, He's won lots of Premier Leagues. He was great for us before we got injured last season. I'm not sure he's quite there yet. I don't think, although I don't know this off the top of my head, I don't think he's playing for Brazil in this international break. I haven't checked. I don't know. But I'd be yeah. surprised if he is. Um, and I hope that he will continue to you know, recover and get back to his best. I think Nketiah starts the next game. Although Nketiah, I suppose, is in, is in the England squad. Yeah, do you think, is it maybe an option that Jesus plays on the right and Nketiah down the middle just to give Saka a little bit of a break? Possibly, yes. I can see that going for like one game. Uh, the interesting way of uh, doing that is obviously you can switch the formations around during the game if you set your team up like that. Yeah. Which and I, I'll yeah. And there's, a, there's a bit more fluidity by doing that too. And, and we have seen in the past, I guess, Saka and Martinelli do that too. Um, as, or in Martinelli and Jesus in particular, where they'd swap positions and Jesus would go out on the left. Um, yeah, so maybe that is an option uh, against, although against Everton, uh, yeah, is that the right time to do it? I'm not sure. Um, look, I also want to speak about Odegaard. Uh, I thought he had a great performance as well. Uh, I, yeah, he's. His running and his work rate is just, it's second to none. I mean, this guy is the energizer bunny. He just runs and he runs and he runs. Um, what did you make of his performance yesterday? Uh, Odegaard had a, obviously a very good performance yesterday. There's no other way 
way of describing it. He was uh, fantastic going forwards. He got back a little bit, but he's not really a defender. He, I felt he was at fault for a lot of the corner nonsense. Right? That's the only criticism I'd have of him. I felt that a lot of the poor corners Arsenal were doing involved playing it short to Odegaard and then tapping it on. And <clears throat> it felt like he was orchestrating the corners. Uh, but the one that Rice scored from works in the end. So maybe I shouldn't be too critical of that. He was great value for his goal. He looked like he was going to get a couple of other ones. Uh, he and Rashford were the kind of most direct goal threats. He looked more a goal threat than Nketiah did, Odegaard, uh, which probably is a criticism that could be labelled at Nketiah. If he is going to be an out-and-out scorer, he should look like the main goal threat. And it was definitely Odegaard that looked more of the goal threat. Uh, Odegaard is going to be Arsenal's captain for the next five years at least. I, I hope he has a very long and successful career <clears throat> because he, he really looks apart. Yeah, and I think is pressing when I mean, you know, yesterday the way United played, uh, I thought was a a little baffling for me. Um, but you know, it'd be interesting to see if there were any possession stats and time on the ball because I honestly feel like Onana would be in the top five Manchester United players in terms of just time or minutes on the ball. Um, but one thing that I did love about Odegaard is that when they were on, when Man United were on the ball for quite a long time, and particularly Onana, he was the one that would sort of try to initiate the press. You know, I saw him a few times where he'd be telling the likes of Enketia and Havertz saying, you know, press, you know, that's the, and he, he would sort of start it. Um, he might, and there were occasions where he was, he would run and start it in terms of just his actions, but then there were also times when he would, basically tell the others we need to go now you know because and i just feel like you know he has such a, a great ability at reading the game because you could see he was kind of looking around and seeing what they what united were trying to do and he was almost like there were certain moments where he would he would tell us to push and tell the, the likes of Enkedia and martinelli and habits okay press but then there were times when I don't know whether you noticed this, but there were times when we wouldn't actually press and we'd stay in a mid-block. And it was almost like we would let them have possession. And then there was like a, a moment, and you could see sort of Odegaard just looking around. And then once there was like a certain moment where he, he saw like either we, we were in certain positions or he saw the positioning of United and their players, he then said, okay, let's go now. Um, and I just think there's probably like a certain level of reading from the game on his behalf in terms of initiating that press, that I just, it's, it's incredible. And and even 80 minutes in, you know, he was, I just remember United had the ball and he just he ran after about two or three United players trying to get the win the ball back after 80 minutes. And I'm like, man, this guy is just, he's unreal. He's just such an unbelievable player. And like you said, I hope he's managing Arsenal for at least the next five years because I think he's just such a brilliant player. But I, and another player that I think maybe could be future captain if Odegaard doesn't work out, touch wood. Um, I think for me, the man of the hour, uh, Declan Rice. Uh, I'm not going to say too much. I'm going to let you just, you know, how did you think his game was yesterday? How did you think it all went? Well, it was his first goal for Arsenal. And he won't score many more important than that. He won't score any anything at the Emirates any louder than that, certainly. It was a 
a truly great goal. It was the one thing you said earlier about Havertz, like if he'd shot with conviction, if he'd passed with conviction. Uh, Declan Rice is a player playing with conviction. And he shot it basically straight at the goalkeeper, but he hit it so hard that it still went in. Uh, it, that yeah. was a truly remarkable uh, goal. It really came when we really needed it. It wasn't particularly fancy. A lot of people could have done it, but he did do it in the moment. And I think he is the difference. If we're going to win the league this year, because I know I said the praises of Martinelli and Odegaard, but we had them last year. Uh, the what the player that's going to make the difference, I think, is Rice more than any of the other ones. Timber is obviously injured. Uh, don't think it's going to be Havertz. That David Raya is, is a goalkeeper. It's harder for them to do it, especially when they should be replacing a decent goalkeeper like Ramsdale. I think our signing that's going to make the difference is Rice. And he was great defensively as well. I think we, without Partey playing, it suits Rice better. I don't think he was pairing up with Partey brilliantly. Uh, he played better without Partey, I feel. And I think with this shit, that starting eleven we had there may, will probably be our, apart from possibly Jesus coming in, I think will probably be our starting eleven for the next well, couple of games. Yeah, and and look as as you mentioned, um, him being so important, I think it it, it pr- what proves it even more is the fact that Partey was injured. He didn't play yesterday. Obviously, he's going to be out. Looks looks like maybe for about six weeks. But the fact that we've got someone like Declan Rice that can come in. You know, I totally agree with your point that if we are going to win the league, he's going to play a huge role because, let's be honest, Thomas Partey, he's made of glass. Um, it's to have someone to have someone like Thomas Partey out who, listen, he's a very good player. I'm not, not disputing that at all. But to have then someone like Declan Rice there who's ready to come in and do that role, we saw last season when Partey wasn't in the team, we there were games where we didn't look our best and we struggled. And the fact that we got you know this hundred hundred and five million pound player who can slot in and do exactly what we exactly what Partey would do, and in my opinion, better. Yeah, I think you're hundred percent correct in terms of Rice is going to be potentially that that game changer for us um, if we are looking to win. I guess you, you would you could call the major trophies. Um, uh, and yeah, I I thought for for me personally, man of the match performance from Declan Rice yesterday. I I feel when you think about Casemiro, the the sort of Declan Rice Casemiro battle. I can't remember Casemiro really like well having I guess a, a long extended period of time within the game where he sort of dominated and controlled the tempo and you know, telling, I guess, his team and his players where to go and what to do. But there were multiple times yesterday when I was watching Declan Rice run into space, ask for the ball, he'd get the ball. And it was sort of like, he, as he got the ball, he would faint like a half turn to invite pressure. He, literally, he was inviting pressure. And by sort of doing like a, a faint, a fake half turn, he would then sort of protect the ball. And it was almost like he was saying, no, I want the pressure. I want I want you to come and, and press me because then you're going you're going to create space for another player so as he gets pressed he then passes it to Saliba might pass it back to Saliba or, or Gabriel or Sinchenko and then Sinchenko would ping it forward and I just felt like by him doing that it was 
just him controlling the game, understanding that, okay, you want to play a low block and try and get us on the counter? Well, you, you can come press me. You create some space. I'm going to give it to this player. He's going to then kick it over there. And I just thought that was, you know, much like how Odegaard was sort of initiating the press and, and controlling the game and, and, and telling sort of the front three of our, our team, you know, when to go. I felt like Rice, when we were in possession, it just could really control the, the tempo of the game. He was phenomenal. And he's just an unbelievable player. And I'm so glad we got him. And I can't thank West Ham enough for what they've done. <laughs> uh, thank you to West Ham. Yes, listen, 105 million. I honestly think that's a steal. You know, I know it's, look, don't get me wrong, it's a lot of money. But man, I, I think that he'll prove that, that he's worth his weight in gold for sure at some point. He's done, he's taken a couple of million, he's proven he's worth a couple of those million with that goal. That goal alone oh, is worth a couple of million. Absolutely. Especially against Manchester United. 100%. 100%. Um, okay, let's talk about. I know we, we just keep we just keep talking about players, but there's just so many. I think great performances that I just want to almost talk about everyone really. But Gabriel coming back into the team once again. I won't say too much. What are your thoughts? Uh, so Gabriel, I think I always think he was going to come back in for the big games. I think the reason he's not been in the team so far is we've been expecting Fulham, Nottingham Forest, and whoever else is we've played. Uh, who else have we Crystal played? Palace? Crystal Palace, that's it. Uh, we were expecting them all to have low blocks against us. Uh, they were all teams that we should expect to win against, and we're expecting them to play a low block. So we were trying... Well, Arteta seemed to be trying to play uh, a very ball-playing team. And whilst Gabriel is probably our second best defender, maybe even our best defender, he is the weakest on the ball, probably. So we were doing things, we were playing, you know, Thomas Partey was playing right back when he we had the ball, didn't have the ball, and playing in midfield when we did have the ball, overloading midfield, those kind of tactics. Um, working well against Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest. Uh, against Manchester United, you need the defensive stability of your two best defensive centre-backs. I don't think it... I wasn't at all surprised that Gabriel started. I think he will start against Man City as well in a few weeks' time. I think we will look to see Gabriel starting all the games against teams that have a realistic chance of beating Arsenal. And against the low-block teams, they're just going to try and keep us out he probably won't start as many games. I think he was fantastic against Man United, defensively in particular. He didn't make any mistakes on the ball, really, either. And he wasn't at fault for the one goal we conceded. He was fantastic defensively. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at how he how he played against um, Rasmus Holland, I think he, he is, I agree that he'll play against those teams that have a potential chance of, of beating us or, you know, ones that I should be competing, I guess, with Arsenal for like a top four spot or a Champions League position. And I think the one thing, one of the reasons for that is because Gabriel, when it comes, when he comes up against big centre forwards, he's probably the, the best defender we have who's able to manage those kinds of guys. You know, your Erling Haaland's, your Erasmus Hoyland's, these, these kinds of players um, you know, I just look, he, he'd been playing the whole game and then Rasmus Holland comes on and 
in my opinion, I thought he actually, he managed him really well. And and listen, Rasmus Holland is not a small player by any stretch. Um, and I just think his ability to be able to manage those kinds of players, you know, it kind of reminds me of when Rob Holding, uh, I don't know if you recall Rob Holding against Diego Costa in the FA Cup final. I think it was back in 2017. Um, just being mm-hmm. able to sort of manage those kinds of, you know, big, strong center forwards. That was like uh, probably Rob Holding's greatest ever game. Um, not allowing Diego Costa to get into his head. I feel like Gabriel is sort of doing the, oh, I, I, thought, I thought he did sort of something very similar to Rasmus Holland. Um, and I think against you know, your Erling Haaland's, your potentially your Evan Ferguson's at your Brighton's, you know, I think he could definitely have, uh, well, not that he could. He definitely has the ability to be able to sort of control those kinds of centre forwards. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're right. He'll, he'll definitely play against those kinds of teams who are going to be sort of, I guess, top six, you could argue, top seven. Um, yeah. I also then, think he'll play a lot of Champions League games. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so too. Um, listen, we've got a, a lot of games. We've got a lot of games coming up. So... If I, if I was a player in the Arsenal squad worrying about my game time, I don't because, yeah, I had a look at the fixture lists after the international break and the, our September and October are, are packed. <laughs> it's really packed. Um, look, let's talk about the opposition just for a little bit and let's talk about United's, I guess, initially. Let, let's talk about their formation and how, how they came to play. Uh, I personally think they came for a draw. They, they they weren't looking to win, I don't think. Or they were looking for a bit of a smash and grab. You know, they were playing in that low block and they wanted to try and counter-attack. What did you make of, of sort of, I guess, United's performance and their tactics? I, mean, I agree with you. They played very negatively. I, d- I don't think they were playing for a draw. I think right up until they scored their first goal, they had played exactly to their own game plan. They sorry, maybe absorbed... sorry, maybe maybe sorry, maybe saying that they were playing for a draw is probably the wrong terminology. I guess what I'm trying, what I'm, what I mean is that um, they would have been if they got a draw, they would have been happy. Like they, I don't think if they had left with a draw, they would have said, "Okay, cool, no problem." Oh yeah, yeah, that I'd agree with. They were playing to a s- smash and grab, which is yeah, what 100%. they did. They they implement they implemented their plan well. Uh, Arsenal were completely dominant for, I think it was 35 minutes. I'm not sure exactly when the goal was scored, uh, but it was about that. And then uh, Man United scored with their first shot on goal. Rashford had had very few touches on the ball before he scored. Uh, they hadn't really, he hadn't really gotten involved until then. Great individual run and finish by Marcus Rashford. He, did very, he had to get it right in off the post or Ramsdale would have saved it. If Up until that point, that was Man United's game plan and they'd implemented it the way they wanted to. They then lost focus for a brief second. Arsenal's response was faultless and to immediately score back against them. And I think Man United had they'd lost their edge. They'd for just a few seconds they lost their edge when they scored. They say teams are most vulnerable when they've just scored, and it was definitely true there and then. And that that was why they lost that was why they couldn't they were lost, they're doomed to lose then. Right. They also lost their edge again at 90 minutes, I felt Man United. Those are the two things that cost them. 
just after they scored, they lost their edge. And then they lost it again after 90 minutes. They haven't gotten used to playing 100 minutes, clearly Man United, in, in a way yeah. that Arsenal have. Yeah, the second the second time, I think, was when the goal, uh, Ganacho's goal got overturned. It was like that sort of took the wind out of their cells a little bit. You know, I mean, that was about eighty nine minutes, wasn't it? That yeah, and it's and I think you, you you're hundred percent right. I think there are times when it's almost like United can't manage the emotion of the game. You know, I I, I think I look at the Liverpool seven nil last season. It was like Liverpool scored, and they just you know they're away at Anfield, and it. You know that's a cauldron of a place to go, and they just—it looked like they just, yeah, they capitulate under, under the pressure. It's almost like they can't handle the pressure as well. Um, what? Did, or just quickly going back to uh, Marcus Rashford, uh, what did you make of Aaron Ramsdale's save? Because he gets a good hand to it, but it still ends up going into the back of the neck. Do you think could he have been a bit stronger there? Easy to say that when you're watching it. I think realistically, no. Right. I think all he could do potentially would be have bigger hands, right? Which you can't just do. I don't see. I think it was a fantastic shot. He had um, he'd worked his feet very well to position himself. I think it would have been very difficult to save for any for any goalkeeper that shot. I really don't see. If it was from like a free kick, maybe, but from someone running in, changing direction like that, I don't see how he possibly could have saved it, unless you already knew what it was going, what shot he was going to do. I don't so, okay. see how anyone could have saved that one. So, what would you make then? I guess of uh, Ben White and Saliba's defending of that goal because they obviously, it, they, if they anyone's at fault, it's Ben White. Okay. Right, if anyone's at fault, it's Ben White. Ben White, I feel hesitated on whether to mark Rashford or try and close down the player who passed to him, and then didn't make the interception and wasn't close enough to Rashford. Uh, Do you feel as though Saliba being, I guess, right behind Ben White is also maybe a bit of a mistake on his behalf? Because, it, I mean, I guess if Saliba's obviously a bit more to the left um, and Marcus Rashford cuts in, then he's got then Saliba's there, I guess. Yes. I mean... It, you shouldn't have two defensive players that close together in open play because you're not immediately leaving space somewhere else. Yeah. No, um, I 100% agree. Yeah. And at no point should you should have two defenders that, that close together. They could basically, they were close enough to touch each other and that is too close, right? The only reason you should ever do that is if there's two strikers that close together and you mind marking them. It's the only reason you should ever be that close. So I do think that it was an overall defensive error on the break. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Uh, but I do think it's Ben White was playing right back. Rashford was on the left wing. It's Ben White's job to stay on Rashford. And he looked like he broke off that to try and charge down the pass because he thought Saliba was coming across. Uh, but he should have stayed on his man. If anyone is at fault. I do think it was generally just a very good break from Man United. You can't stop them all. Uh, but if anyone is at fault, it is Ben White. For that one, for that goal. Yeah, I think maybe because he's been playing at right centre back, um, maybe his his mind it's, it's almost like he's got to try and switch to being a right back. You know, it's almost like a different mentality, maybe, um, and maybe just wasn't quite in the right position. I feel like last season he might have done a bit better there, but 
who knows? You, you're right. At the end of the day, you can't stop everything. Um, it's just annoying that it's always Rashford and it's always him cutting onto his right foot. It's just like oh, every time. Um, I want to go. Let's let's talk I'll back to United. Um, I, what did you think of Onana and the, how he was sort of passing out from the back? What did, what were your what's your take on how United played, especially I guess the the back three of Martinez, um, Dalo, no, sorry, Lindelof, uh, and, and Onana and sort of the way they were passing out the back. It felt to me that Ten Hag was trying to copy what Arsenal did a couple of years ago when we signed Ramsdale and started passing out yeah. the back as a goalkeeper. Um, it didn't feel like it was quite clicked United yet. No. They they were they what ha- was happening I felt a bit what they weren't ready for was the something you mentioned earlier with Odegaard where they Arsenal dropped back a bit and let them play it beyond their defenders. Uh, get have the defenders have the ball not get pressed, look at the midfielders and then get pressed again. It felt like to me United hadn't practiced beating that kind of press with Onana and yeah. they didn't really know what to do do they when the, the Arsenal had set back that much they didn't know whether to use Onana or not I felt that was very cleverly done by Arsenal I think that was something they talked about ahead of time I think they'd anticipated what Ten Hag was going to do how he was going to use Onana and they found a way to beat it uh, it is a very clever counter to that kind of goalkeeper press beating to sit back a little bit uh, and then let them get a little bit forwards, get outside their own penalty area, and then start to press them. It makes teams have got to make a decision then on whether they use their goalkeeper or not. I think yeah, it was, it was almost very like a, done by Arsenal. Yeah, it was almost like a mid block. You know, like they they weren't we weren't deep by any stretch. We were sort of like in the middle of the park and we're tr- trying to, I guess, make them be indecisive in the sense that okay, we're in the middle here. Now you can either go long, you can pass it out from the back, but you're going to have to make a decision at some point. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting, because yeah, th- as you mentioned, they they are trying to, I guess, like to a certain degree, copy us by having Onana pass it out from the back. But I thought the positioning of of when and how they passed it out the back, I thought was really quite interesting because United's defenders they were almost sort of, I guess, stuck on just outside their penalty box. You know, I'm not sure whether Lindelof. I mean, Martin is is probably he probably is a, a very good sort of passing out of the back centre back, but in comparison to Arsenal and you know, Saliba, Gabriel, Ben White, you know, when we're passing it out of the back, you have a look at some of our defenders. Once we get it out of the back and we push up the field, you know, our centre backs are sometimes you know they're almost on the the circle in the middle, you know, whilst for them, it was like they were always sort of stuck deep in their half. You know, the, the, I guess you could argue that the, the transitioning from your, the, from their half into our half, it just wasn't quite there in comparison to us. You know, when we get the ball, we'll pass it up, we'll try and pass it out. But then it's like our, our field tilt moves up, you know, to be in the opposition half rather than staying in our Defensive half, whilst for them it was like they were passing it out from the back, 
but they were they, the field tilt wasn't moving up. They were just sort of staying in their half and sort of in the, the center circle kind of thing. Um, but I just think that maybe might just come down to personnel and potentially more getting some more minutes for some of these new players like Onano um, and getting used to him being on the ball. I, I think as well, like you mentioned, when we d- when we did press and Onano went long a few times, he went long and it was, some of them were going straight to Saliba and Ben White and they weren't under pressure at all. So in, a cert- in certain situations, it worked where that mid-block and then sort of pressing when we needed to, it did kind of work in a sense where they just gave up possession because Anana's going long and it's basically to no one or, or he's kicked it long and the, the field tilts moved. So, yeah, I thought the, um, I thought in the first 25 minutes before we conceded, I thought we really controlled it quite well and didn't really allow them to get much of a sniff, which is credit to, I guess, Arteta and the training and the, and the players for doing that. Um, look, that's, I mean, I think we've covered quite a lot. And this, is there anything else you'd like to mention, Nelly, uh, and before we sign off? Uh, not really. I think it was uh, overall a very good uh, week for Arsenal. I think if we don't drop any more points between now and when we play Man City, we can beat Man City and go top of the league. So, when do we, do you know when end. we play Man City? 6th of October. Okay, how many games do we have? We've got three more games in before that, right? Yes, I think so. Okay. All right, that will be interesting. Yeah, Are we home or away? Home. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so Looking that's got to be our that. aim for the next few games. Not and we've got points. some... Yeah, and I was going to say, we, we've got some tough games coming up. Goodison Park, Everton, away. When we come back from the international break, we obviously lost there last season. Um, and then I think we got Tottenham. No, that's not that's not a difficult game. <laughs> Fair enough. Everton, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I think we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Nelly, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>